Welcome to another episode of Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This summer, we are talking about the book Identity Theft and what it means to reclaim the truth of who we are in Christ. Joining me today to talk about chapters three and four, which cover our adoption as God's children and our identity as His saints, are Aaron Mills, Angela Rogers, and Susie Vital. Now, Aaron and I have recently embarked on a new adventure together. We are serving alongside one another as interim coordinators for our women's ministry here at First Pres. And Aaron has graciously agreed to be my co-host for the remainder of this summer series. Aaron, I'm excited about what you're going to bring to the table. You got to do more than just shrug your shoulders and smile, girl. Yeah, there you go. Here you go. Excited to be here. All right. And Angela and Susie, both long-term members of First Pres, two women whose kindness, your wit, your wisdom makes you well-loved fixtures in our community. Very grateful to have the two of y'all with us today. You're welcome. And I would love it if y'all would introduce yourselves, tell tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are. Hi, I'm Erin Mills, and um, I'm married to Brad, and we've known each other since 2004, so we were married in 2008, so almost half my life. I'm not doing the math on that. That's a lot of years. So I've been uh, serving alongside um, the women at our church since I started seminary, and that was uh, a couple years ago, so I'm two years into that endeavor and I've just lear- love learning about how women's ministry is run and being mentored by some great people here at First Presbyterian. And so that's been fun, fun part of this job. Um, some hobbies that I enjoy, um, definitely love sewing and um, painting and um, just doing things with the kids and a good outdoor project and canning all the fun home things i don't <laughs> you know a woman of many talents seriously you bake you can you sew you do uh, a little bit of this a little bit of that not really good at anything i don't, I don't stick long around long enough to like really hone in on a skill i just like to learn you know, learn new things maybe that's my hobby okay. yeah it's a good hobby <laughs> what about you Susie? So my name is Susie Vital, and I am married to Jason Vital. we've been married it's coming up on 33 years, and we have three children. Let's see, what else to know about me? I am an occupational therapist by profession, and some of my hobbies that I enjoy are um, gardening. I, I do enjoy that. I have a rose garden that I call my mm. um, fourth child. That, I was gonna say, that's not easy, a rose garden. <laughs> that takes it, it's, real attention. It's not. It's not. But they produce such lovely, oh, they smell wonderful. They're mostly hybrid tea roses. Um, so I, I get enjoyment out of it. Um, there is some work, but um, it's it's sweet, sweet work. And then I also like to bake. So gardening, baking, and um, occasional kayaking, and being outdoors. Well, my name is Angela Rogers, and I'm excited to be here. And a few things about me, the family scene. Um, I will have been married to Jerry 40 years this December. Yeah, it's getting up there. And we are blessed with two 30-something-year-old sons who are both married. And between those two families, there are seven under seven years old grandchildren so that's crowd and then we have a late in life child who just graduated from uga 
and a little Shizu dog, Buzz. So, <laughs> and my parents are in Wren. So that's kind of our immediate family. Uh, in terms of jobs, I'm a stay-at-homer right now, but involved in women's ministry here at First Pres and um, on council, and then have been directing weddings for about 10 years. So that's a little side gig that I have. Mm-hmm. And then I think you ask about hobbies. Um, Susie, we'll have to have a double date with our kayaks. Jerry and yes. I bought a kayak yes. to survive I would enjoy that. the pandemic. So <laughs> you can bake the goodies. Um, I'll, go, I'll pick up <laughs> Chick-fil-A. Like Fun. And then we can hit the river. Um, Fun. I like to play golf and fish with Jerry so we can bring our fishing poles to that. And mm-hmm. then um, hiking, traveling, uh, kind of nerdy. I like Scrabble. Mm, oh, me too. Oh. Okay. Do you play for points or the best word? Um, <laughs> points, baby. No, it's all about the good words. Yeah, it's all seven letter. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to our first things first question that we ask at the beginning of every episode. And this first, today's first things first question is, when was the first time you remember trying a water sport? So this should be up y'all's alley, kayakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, what I was going to speak about, although kayaking is fun, I was going to talk about the first time I water skied. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, we would always go camping with um, some close neighbors of ours growing up. And it was always, you know, the thing to, um, when it came time to learn to water ski, um, it was a big ordeal. And so I just remember, I was probably about middle school, probably. And I remember just being in the water and having those big, huge skis sticking (laughs) up out of the water in front of me, having my knees bent so tight and gripping Mm -hmm. onto that, you know, handle so tight to try to get up out of the water. And I must have drank half of the lake. (laughs) (laughs) Did you go like face down? You didn't let go? Several times, several times. I just remember it was such an ordeal to get up. But finally, once I got up on top of the water and skiing, it was just a exhilarating it was so much fun I really enjoyed it now I haven't water skied in many many years but just that the memories of um, learning how to water ski were, were a lot of fun so you gotta have some perseverance if you drink half the lake and yes. decide you're gonna go again <laughs> well and it was those who were teaching me as well it's like uh-uh girl you're not giving up I'm sure I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna learn how to do this so anyway um I I guess like Susie, I grew up in and around the water, so mm-hmm. around the pool and the lake and going to the beach. So honestly, I really don't remember the first time skiing or um, swimming because we just sort of did it. But I do have a distinct memory of the first time I did a water thing and it was like, this is really fun. I want to do this more. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to this is like true confession. I was about four or five, uh, five or six probably. And we would go to the lake and. I can remember um, somebody in the, the group had made this homemade plywood round disc thingy. This These were very, you know, we, it was all <laughs> real homespun back oh, then, back goodness. in the day. And um, it's kind of like, you know, you're a redneck if. <laughs> <laughs> you make so, your own skim board? So is that what this thing is Well, be? <laughs> it was not a skim board. There was no such thing. But this is this big ramp, about the size of this table, like oh, this, wow. with yeah. no legs. And a big piece of somebody's probably old plywood. And uh, I don't know if it was my dad or one of his friends, because they would we would go to the lake with friends. They decided, let's make this thing. And they got a lawn chair. And 
the dad or it was my dad <laughs> or their friends sat in the chair and then I got to sit in the chair with them. And then we held on to the rope and they pulled us all around the lake. Oh, wow. And I mean, it probably did not meet any safety standards so or anything like down. that. I have so many questions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> your do it yourself or self but, is over there. You're like, oh, are you really? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really curious. Fun. Like, how did you affix the launch? It was not. To, oh, it was wow. not fixed. It was just sitting there. Oh, wow. wow. Off we went. That does that, sound really That is interesting that mm-hmm. that float, that, that it, worked. It floated. Yeah. It, it floated. And, okay. um. Off we went. Wow. That's unique, Angela. That That is unique. (laughs) You win the unique prize. (laughs) Yeah. I think so. I am beat that. Okay. No, can't beat that. But I do have actually a similar story. I grew up around the water, um, but a formative memory of skiing. I mean, I think that lake water is still in my sinuses somewhere. <laughs> like I can it right smell now. it. I can yeah. smell, I can it, smell it. I can taste it. Like I could see the brown murkiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right, Susie. Like once you get up on the skis, it is just such a like I did it, mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. feeling. Um, but funny, I did actually try to ski when I was pregnant with Zeke. So twelve years ago, eleven years ago, I couldn't get up. It was sad. And I didn't have the tenacity I had when I was a child. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No one was cheering for me. They were like, okay, let's go up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little harder to maneuver yourself mm-hmm. when you're older. Oh, As yeah. a child, you can kind of pop up. Right. And that was a 20-year yeah. span between that, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, I my grandparents had a lake cottage growing up, so I spent some time there as well. And I know what you mean about the smell of lake water mm-hmm. mixed with gasoline. Oh, I love yes. the smell. Water and gasoline boat on the. I don't know what it is, but I love that. Yeah, love that smell. And I didn't ski a whole lot. I did tube, and I. So obviously, it takes less skill, but it definitely takes tenacity, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. When you have a dad whose only goal in life is to throw you off the tube. I'm not talking like normal tube. I'm I'm talking about serious. Mm -hmm. You're rocketing over the waves, big turns, (laughs) almost flipping over. Dragging half of your head in the water and not giving up, you know, that type of tubing. And to me, I was so proud that I could hang on. Like, oh, I was wow. just, yes. what can I hang on yes. uh, through? Yes. I will hang on. Yes. Uh, we are talking about a book. Like I said, we're talking about the fact that we're reclaiming our what it's like to reclaim our identity in Christ. What it is like, essentially, to hold on uh, to what Christ mm-hmm. has already secured for us and to live into that. And we are reminded in that first chapter that Jen Wilkin writes that we have to remember as we live into this new identity that it is progressive. We've been freed from sin. We've been given a new identity. But she said, just remember that we have been justified. So we've been freed from the penalty of sin. We're being sanctified, which means we're being freed from the power of sin. And we will be glorified, which means we will be freed from the presence of sin totally. So as you hear Mm -hmm. us talk about these identities that we're living into if you ever feel discouraged that, man, I'm not living like a child of God. I'm not living like a saint. Recognize that the Lord is constantly bringing us further into our identities, gently, faithfully. And that's what we get to talk about and encourage one another on to uh, today. And so Mm -hmm. that's a real great privilege. So chapter three title was child beloved by the father written by Courtney doctor. And the verse that is attached to that says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And that's Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. So Courtney starts out her chapter 
by saying that there are some enemies that work against us to try to convince us that we're not really beloved, that we're not really God's children. And part of that's just the brokenness of the world we live in. And some of us know what it's like to grow up with a father who doesn't represent what a loving father is. And so that can be a very difficult thing to reconcile the idea of a loving God being our father when we haven't experienced um, a father here being that to us that can sometimes rob us of our understanding of our identity. And then it's the voices in our own head oftentimes telling us, you're not a child of God. You don't deserve to be a child of God. Look what you've done. There's no way that God would call you his child. Sometimes it's the voices in our head. And then, of course, Satan uses the devil. He loves to capitalize on all the brokenness, actions of other people, voices in our own heads, and trying to convince us that instead of being beloved children of God, that we serve him like slaves, or he hasn't really adopted us and we remain orphans, or that, okay, maybe we're called his children, but we got there illegitimately. We don't really deserve it. Those lies can permeate our being and infiltrate our minds and we act accordingly. Like we don't really have a loving heavenly father. Which of those lies ladies, do you find that it's tempting for you to believe? And how does that affect the way that you live? Well, um, Amber, I really like that question and the opportunity just to think about it. And, um, while all three of those are things I struggle with from time to time. I feel like I fall especially victim to the orphan line. And for some reason, when temptation strikes and I just succumb, I become brain dead. And I just forget that my adoption papers have been signed, signed by the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. That adoption is finished. It's done. I was even thinking, you know, I have a gotcha day. The angels celebrate the day that I became a believer. Um, I have a new family in Christ, a forever family, an eternally forever family. Uh, And I just forget those things. And then when that happens, I can kind of spiral. I don't know about you guys, but I'll spiral into discouragement, um, sometimes even depression. And then sadly, um, distraction to the point that I'm just not effective um, for the Lord in doing the things he's called me to do, or even just, you know, the task of the day, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. one of the things in the book, there are lots of rich encouragements to help us pull out of these spirals, whatever they look like in each of our lives. Um, But I really liked Courtney Doctor's, um, it's really just back to the basics. She just um, exhorts us that uh, we we need to remember there's a three-pronged truth. And number one is... God wants us. God wants me. He wanted me. He wants us. God delights in us. He really does. And number three, God loves us. And that's simple and we all know it, but I just time and time again forget it and just stop living uh, in that truth. So I really appreciated that. And she finished up our, there's there's a quote, she says, oh, child of God. My prayer is that you and I would build our lives on this bedrock of truth. It's the foundation from which we live and move and have our being. God's love changes and transforms. And that offers so much hope, Mm -hmm. the change and the transformation Mm -hmm. that we're not stuck, not stuck. I love that, Angela. I think for me, when God's love clicked into focus and I was able to just receive his flood of love over me 
that these lies were diminished, but I feel like when I'm at my worst and I can just get like the most toxic mix of all of these things, um, the orphan, the illegitimate child, the slave, and just operate out of those lies and see even that I'm maybe the prodigal child and I have, I've returned and God's put his ring and his robe on me and called me his, but just feeling like I have to earn it and prove myself and show up and do the work and um, like my worth is from my own doing um, or just feel like that, yeah, I'm not welcome here. Like that family love is not for me or like the orphan, like you were saying that I am abandoned when things are at their darkest, like, um, and that, I think that just knowing that the community is surrounding you and, um, putting the truth back into your mouth, putting the truth back into your heart. That's where that piece is so valuable. Similar to both of you, um, I have experienced um, both of those um, feelings as well. The orphan, the illegitimate child, and um, the slave. And I I feel like the one that that the devil has tempted me the most to believe is um, that I'm a slave. And this lie says that, you know, you're always working, um, just work, work, work. One of the questions was, how does it affect the way you live? Well, often, you know, just frenetic and um, working to have it all put together, you know, like my marriage, my children, my career, and have them all turn out perfectly. Then what what I have learned from what Courtney um, has taught us through this also is that um, and how to help change my belief is that the best thing I can do is to rest from my work mm-hmm. and by spending time in his word and by praying really like the paragraph on page 39 where Courtney reminds us that one of the sweetest blessings of living as a beloved child is to know deep rest. This is um, one of the scriptures that she quoted also. We have a father who will not only rejoice over you with gladness, but will quiet you with his love. And that's from Zephaniah 317. And that really resonated Mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Like all that y'all are saying. And I think as mothers, we understand what it's like to love our children based solely on the fact that they're our children. Uh, We delight in them. And I was Mm -hmm. telling someone the other day that I I don't like it when my children are sick, but I sort of like it when they're just down enough that they're still (laughs) and they sit with me and they let Mm -hmm. me cuddle them a little bit Mm because I just delight in them. And and we can often think the Lord doesn't want to delight in us. He doesn't want us to be still with him. He's just interested in what we can do for him, you know, as slaves or I misbehaved. So I'm not real sure that God counts me as his child. We know intellectually, mm-hmm. probably as believers, mm-hmm. that he does, but we tend to not operate like that. Want to make up for that. Hard for me sometimes to believe that he delights in me in the midst of my failures. Courtney makes the point that we're adopted children of God based solely, I love this, solely on his initiation and completion of our adoption. So those two things, the initiation and the completion. He initiated it. And he completed it. And she gives an illustration of when they adopted their own child. And she says, you know, it was a little girl that they adopted. And she says, what was our sweet girl doing while they were going through this adoption process? Nothing. She was completely oblivious of all of our efforts to initiate and secure her adoption. Mm -hmm. Honestly, what could she have done? 
She couldn't initiate her own adoption process. She didn't peruse possible families and select ours. She didn't save her money and fund the adoption. The entire process rested on us and what we could and would do. In the same way, we're unable to contribute to our adoption. We may like to think we chose God or merited our salvation in some way, but we didn't. And uh, she summarizes the fact that when we get that, or she says, she says that when we begin to understand that God initiated our adoption mm-hmm. process, that he completed it, that we are in it based on nothing that we've done. She says that when we live in that safety of our father's love, that we just delight to spend time with him. We want to imitate him and we want to know how to rest securely in his care. Mm-hmm. So when, when y'all think about those three things, living in that safety of his love, delighting to spend time with him, the desire to imitate him and rest securely in his care. What, which one of those benefits of being his child, which one of those I just listed, have you been enjoying lately? So I have been enjoying um, to delight in spending time with the father, um, reading and meditating on his word and, and praying I recently attended the day of prayer and I just, I just can't even express how refreshing it was to, um, I mean, not that I always need that much time, but it was just beautiful to be able to spend that much time just reading some scriptures and reflecting on them and having time to reflect on them. Um, it was, it was beautiful it really was and it was just refreshing to my soul it was it was just perfectly what I needed but but other than that I also just have enjoyed spending time um, meditating on his word and in prayer I love that the prayer day is such a treat I love that Mm -hmm. Um, I think the most astounding thing for me is that I want to imitate the Father, and it's just such a testimony to myself that, just such a reminder that I want to do what is right because the righteous one has loved me. He has changed my heart. Mm -hmm. He motivates me to want to spend time in his word, want to be with his people and be encouraged by them, and it helps me rest. Mm -hmm. But I think that just seeing that I want to do what God the Father what his heart is about, seeking his heart. Um, Because Aaron without Jesus is manipulative (laughs) and wants her own way and kicks and screams when she doesn't get her own way. So just seeing the transformative work over the course of my life of knowing Christ is um, just so encouraging. I like that example, just thinking of what it's like to watch a little child imitate a parent, yeah, you know, whether it's a little girl holding a purse like her mama does, so or cute. a little boy, you know, doing something just or like his daddy, or beside yeah. daddy, in the right? Backyard. Right, <laughs> shaving, doing some, yeah. Yeah, 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 and they do it not because they're thinking, Oh my gosh, I gotta do this, dad does this, or mom does this, or whatever, mm-hmm. but man, I love that person, and I want to do it like they yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, like yeah. that, Aaron. Well, um, when I looked at that list, I the thing that jumped out at me that I realized, um, was that. I'm in delighting spending time with the Father right now. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we have dry spells where we feel like the Lord is distant. It's usually me that's the distant one. But um, just for the last few months, it's just been a joy to do quiet time in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, scripture reading, and that sort of thing, as well as um, 
being in worship, I just have felt very grateful to be able to be in the church. And um, there's just been a renewed sense of joy uh, there in the sanctuary. A um, couple other things. Um, I've really, there's been a, a renewed excitement doing Bible study this year. I really enjoyed the Acts study and just spending time with the mm-hmm. Lord um, and the and the characters and the, not the care the people um, that are in in Acts and um, just kind of a wrap up of this is um, I have thoroughly enjoyed meeting the Lord by watching the Chosen. I don't know if you guys have seen that series or not, but it's a uh, the story of Christ and the disciples and. I just think it's very well done, and it's almost like watching family movies. It's just been kind of a, a experience for me mm-hmm. uh, on that level, mm-hmm. and just seeing the Christ in a fresh way and the disciples in a fresh and real way, and uh, makes it real, makes mm-hmm. it very real, and makes the the good things real and the, the struggles real. I appreciate the ways that y'all can put words to what it's like to delight in the Father's presence and to delight in imitating Him because you know that He's your Father. And I think we have some concept of what that's like as a child. And then, but we're moving from now this chapter to the next, which talks about what it's like to be a saint. And there's maybe more confusion around that idea of saint. What is a saint? The subtitle of this chapter is Redeemed by the Son. And it's written by Melissa Kruger. The verse that is attached to it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 So in this chapter, Melissa talks about the sense that we all have that in one way or another, we are simply not enough. So this is going to contradict the reality that we're a saint, that we're chosen. Mm-hmm. And when you think saint, sometimes I know that you, we can think holier than thou. You know, saint is somebody who you can't relate to. They just are kind of uppity and don't have any idea what really goes on in real life. But a saint biblically is speaking of the one that's been set apart for the Lord, that, mm-hmm. that they belong wholly to the Lord. And the lie that can come into our minds to contradict that is what Melissa says when she she has this quote. She says, you know, I'm in fact still struggling with sin. Uh, The qualities I want to exhibit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, which, by the way, are all fruits of the Holy Spirit, all too quickly succumb to grumbling, complaining, impatience, anger, and self-focus. Each day I fall in a variety of ways. And I think we can all relate to that. And if we think of a saint as someone who never struggles with sin, then we'll never believe that we're a saint. Mm -hmm. Um, Because into our minds comes this idea that you are a complainer. Not just you complain, but you are a complainer. You are self-focused. You are a grumbler. You are a sinner. But that's not a believer's identity. You are a saint. You've been freed from the penalty of sin, and you are being freed from the presence of sin, and you will be, or from the power of sin, excuse me, and you will be fully freed from its presence. You have already been wholly set apart for God based on the work of Jesus Christ. So, but as we struggle to believe that, in what ways do you resonate then with the feeling that you're not enough? 
So we have this idea, we've been wholly set apart for the Lord, and yet why do I still struggle feeling like, yeah, but I don't really measure up. And are there unhealthy ways that you tend to cope with this feeling? Well, I feel like you've gone to meddling now, Amber. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you've gone to meddling. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of those questions that made me squirm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's hitting pretty close to home. And um, I really do struggle with feelings of inadequacy and hear the, it might just be truly the voices in my head, but Mm -hmm. then they do um, try to convince me that, you know, you're not good enough and all that. I'm turning, I have a milestone birthday this summer. So I've been very reflective Mm -hmm. this year. 21, no doubt. 21 again and again and again. Yes. Yes. yes, (laughs) Times three or four. Um, But I did get, I just get hung up on, you know, oh gosh, I should be or have been a better wife. Why wasn't I a good enough mother? And friend. I feel like I've failed so many people in, in the arena of friendship and um, just on this constant um, beat, I can beat myself down. And um, so, yes, I definitely resonate with that. And then your the question, what are some of the health, unhealthy ways we cope with that feeling? Well, and this is embarrassing, but I mean, I will, I eat, I overeat. I will just binge eat or not binge but i'll just mm-hmm. stuff a pack of crackers mm-hmm. you know the back box of crackers or something it's usually late at night um i should probably already be in bed but i, I will overeat um and then a lot of times i realize i i become irritable and very out of sorts and of course our kids are out so poor jerry gets the brunt of you know he gets ambushed every now and then by my irritability and whatnot and then the the other thing that happens and this is quite convicting I will tend to withdraw um, when I get in that funk and I will withdraw from other people and from being available to do the good works that God is calling mm-hmm. us to. Um, so that's, I mean, that, that was the thing God, I think that's the thing he's making me see through this Bible study this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hope, the question about change, how does the the change come um one of the great things that this book has shown me that melissa has shown me is that i don't have to stay in that funk and i don't have to stay in those those hard dark places um but that i can come out of it if i embrace not just my identity as a saint but i I have had to come to terms with the fact that um and make peace with the fact that yes Jesus makes me a saint, calls me a saint, but I am still in a sinner's body. And I have such a hard time reconciling those two. But, mm. um, and, and there's that passage from Romans 7 where Paul says, I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. And I feel like I just, when that happens to me, and that's a universal thing, it happens to all of us, but mm. for some reason it just unnerves me and derails me on my path. Um, so I just appreciate um, Melissa Kruger's words of truth here to us. And then she um, ends it up by saying, sainthood isn't a measure of our works. It's a measure of Christ's works. And that's just a thought. I need to paint that on my bedroom wall and look at it every morning. <laughs> Jerry, so the, that. Yeah, so the focus is not on me and what yeah, I do or right. don't do. Um, a lot of times it's the works I don't do. But it's really all about Jesus. So just 
get over yourself, I guess, is my message to me. <laughs> you can preach that message to me yeah. a lot. <laughs> get over yourself. Yes. Yeah, that's so good. I feel like that all of these identity theft chapters, it's like, take your eyes off yourself. It's You're not right. about you. I think that's the bottom line. It's about Jesus and just how we need to hear that good news over and over again, that Christ has done the work that we couldn't do. Um, and so, yeah, when I feel like I can't or I'm not enough or I can't measure up, it's because I'm looking at me. I'm trying to prove that I've got this thing together or I can do the thing. And it's like, wait, that's not what we're here. The work that Christ has called us to do is to to love him, to know him as Savior. And if when we're operating out of that, maybe we're not as insecure. I feel like that's true yeah. for me anyway. Um, unhealthy ways I deal with that. Definitely like self-deprecating humor, like just laugh it off. Like, And I feel like with that, I tell my kids all the time, you speak words of blessing or you speak words of cursing and there's not a lot of in-between grounds. So when I am speaking these words of self-deprecation over myself, it's like I'm opening up the door of cursing. I'm teaching my kids how to do that. I'm teaching other women I'm around to speak over themselves in that way instead of speaking the truth over themselves, over me, the way that Christ has called me a saint. Um, he hasn't called me necessarily good. I'm only good in his righteous covering. Um, but he has called me saint and called me to do those holy works like you were talking about. And um, what you were, when you were saying you feel withdrawn, and I don't know if you said despondent, but that was the word that came to my mind. It's like, yeah, I'm going to retreat and hide because I'm embarrassed because I can't do all the things that other people can do. So, yeah, it disables us. And that is, I feel like, yeah, Satan's wish. Mm. Yes. So... Just reminding myself that these words are not just for my kids, but to speak life over me and myself, over myself, over my children, over the women that are in my circle, so that we are constantly remembering that the good news is Jesus, mm -hmm. that his work is complete and finished, um, and we can rest in that. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, those feelings of that I'm not good enough, um, how I resonated with that, well, I said in lots of ways, um, I'm not good enough employee, therapist, wife, mother, friend, or Christian. Um, I don't have enough scripture memorized or pray like I need to. Um, in some unhealthy ways that I tend to cope with that are, are just trying to work harder um, and focusing on unimportant ways to get noticed. Um but through this chapter and um, identifying as a saint, which is beautiful. Um, and I do have to also tell myself over and over that phrase, I am good enough. And it is because um, I, I, am, I have my identity as a saint. The moment I became a Christian, God set me apart. Jesus has already done all the work on the cross. My perfect atoning sacrifice and I'm free to do the good works God's given me to do through the power of the Holy Spirit and um, not for the attention of people. So y'all are saying all of that so well. <laughs> and I so appreciate that. Melissa says, you know, that being a saint isn't someone that we are becoming. It's yeah. someone um, that we are made the moment that we put mm -hmm. our faith in Christ. Because like you already said, Angela, our identity is grounded not in our works, but in his works on our behalf. Right. And she goes on to say, living as a saint who struggles with sin 
is profoundly different from living as a sinner who's desperately trying to be a saint. Uh, She describes the life of a saint as being marked by four things. A right understanding of our justification, that that has been purchased for us by Christ. And as a result, we fight sin uh, with hope. Uh, We have hope both in our obedience and in our failure. We live graciously towards others, and we have a profound sense of joy. As y'all think about the fact that Christ has made you a saint by imputing his righteousness to you, then how does that affect how you live or why you do good works? So um, because Jesus has imputed his righteousness on me, my good works are done joyfully and to glorify God. Um, I know that I'm still a sinner and they're not perfect um, works, but I continue to battle for the Lord um, through the Spirit's power. Makes a big difference if you're not trying to do works to prove who you are, but you're doing them out of gratitude. Right. Yeah, that was the word that popped into my head was just gratitude. Like I've known the Lord's love and his mercy Mm -hmm. over me and I can gratefully serve out of out of that joy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's such freedom in being able to obey. Like, I mean, for a long time, and I still struggle with this, it just seemed like obedience was one of those sort of hard things you got to do. So suck it up, Sally, and get better at it. Mm. Instead of being obedience as a privilege, like the life that comes through obedience, that the Lord's Mm. call for obedience in my life is freeing, Mm life-giving. Yes, it costs. Yes, it feels hard. Yes, it feels unnatural at times in my sinful self but it always leads to joy and freedom and so that wow the ability to obey and to think in those times when you know my the remnants of sin in myself say you're not gonna be able to do that you don't even want to do that you're not you know just say you know what i have a new identity i have been called holy by the lord his spirit is in me i can't obey and um and that be invigorating instead of taxing Another angle to that that question, I as I pondered it, um, and what does Christ's righteousness, how does it affect um, how I approach good works and whatnot? I realized that it actually I have a big fear of failure, and um, I sometimes equate sin with failure, and I think those are two different things. Sometimes mm-hmm. failure is not sin, but just you blew it, so no big deal. You can change that. But anyway, his righteousness does actually take away that fear of failure, just like it can take away the sin. And um, when I get my head around that, it that fear of failure is replaced by um, confidence that no matter what the outcome, Christ can be glorified. He can be glorified in the in the failure, in the sin, in the success, yes. yeah. all of it, um, that all, all, all aspects. And I really like how Melissa Krieger uh, kind of encapsulates the essence in her quote, hope, uh, that there is hope in both our obedience and our failure. Definitely. And so I, I realized I need to just, you know, give God glory for the failures. I normally try to put those under the rug or feel embarrassed and shame about them. But um, his righteousness is huge. It can cover any any failure. Um, and then I realized when, when I get a, my head around that, um, even when I miss the mark, then Christ is glorified. And then and then I end up with so much joy. In, in the service and and in just being his child and I was sort of thinking about this in terms of good works I remember I remember um, 
when I started doing weddings about 10 years ago, I was so intimidated and so anxious and just, it was really hard to mm-hmm. do, but, you know, I felt like the Lord was calling me to it. And, um, over time as I, um, was mentored and even made mistakes and learned from those, um, God just showed me that if you will be faithful to do these things, even the things that seem hard and out of reach, let me develop your gifts. Let me be your strength. Let me be the place you come to when you have messed up. And Mm -hmm. I will take that embarrassment, uh, that shame, whatever it is. And, um, and then the bonus here is I get to be a part of watching the Lord bring two people together in marriage. And then like Aaron, I got yes. to direct your wedding like 10 years ago, didn't You're I? I'm just realizing that. photo, yes. Yeah, and see, over these years, as I've prayed for you guys, here you are on staff. I mean, is that not wonderful? That is crazy. It is and crazy. it was 14 years. 14, oh, my summer. goodness. So it's been more than 10. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But just that combination of obedience mm. to the Lord and reliance on Him to do the work. Yeah, I think for um, failures, if it's all about me, then that shame is on me. And um, so much of my early walk with the Lord was do better, try harder gospel. And that's just not good news. There's nothing good about that. It's all about me and what I can um, do for the Lord or prove myself. And it's like, man, it's just such a backwards view of who Jesus Mm -hmm. is, of what His good news is about. And walking in the freedom that knowing we do what he's, we're just called to be faithful. So when we're walking in that obedience, that it frees it up, frees us up to fail because it's that weight is not on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, we just get to joyfully serve and mm-hmm. feel the tension of that already. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming in me. Like I can see evidence of that in me. I can see evidence of that all around me, but it's not yet. Mm-hmm. Like it's still brokenness in me. It's still brokenness all around Um, But there's, we have that hope that he's planted in our hearts that all will be made right. Mm. It's true. I love that good news. Mm. Just remembering that what we're talking Mm -hmm. about is good Mm. news. We are children. We are saints. Mm -hmm. It is good news, not of our own making, Mm -hmm. but of his. Mm -hmm. And we get to celebrate that together. And it's been really fun to sit around the table with all three of y'all. Thank you. Well, listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests today, you can check us out at our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA. Or you can find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. Uh, Aaron and I would love you to join us again in two weeks. You can take us on an evening stroll or plop us down next to you in a pool chair. Uh, We'll be talking with Tracy Lutz and Amy White about what it looks like to be fruitful members of God's church. Hope you listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord rises with healing in his wings when comforts are declining he grants the soul again a season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain 